Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. St. Patrick's Day or St. Patrick's Day week, depending on when you are listening to this. This episode is going to come out on March 16th, so one day before St. Patrick's Day, plenty of time to get in the Irish spirit, and I'm recording uh, today, March 15th, the Ides of March, which we remember as the day that Julius Caesar uh, was assassinated in 44 BC, so beware the Ides of March, that's where that comes from. But otherwise, it's a beautiful day, and uh, happy also Lent to my Orthodox friends. Uh, they start Lent today, although those of us who are Catholic are, are have been in Lent for quite a few weeks now. We're looking forward to Easter just a few weeks away. But um, if anyone is listening who's Catholic and has been begrudgingly not eating meat on Fridays, maybe you do a different penance during the year, just remember that um, our Orthodox friends don't have meat the whole Lent. They don't have anything. My Greek Orthodox friend is giving up, uh, she gives up all meat and all dairy. So she does have fish every now and then for a little protein, but um, yeah, they have the whole Lent without meat. So I think we can hang in there with the Fridays. Um, <laughs> uh, it's not too bad, so, and we don't have to do it too much longer, so hope everybody's been having a good Lent. But anyway, those bagpipes you heard, those wonderful bagpipes, um, are from a video that I took back in 2018, back when we could have parades and things like that. It's the Fire Brigade Drums and Pipes of Greater Baltimore playing outside the Baltimore Basilica, America's First Cathedral. If you ever have a chance, hopefully next year when things are more normal, cross your fingers. Um, they will do this again. Um, the, the, the fire brigade comes in uh, on usually the weekend before St. Patrick's Day when there's also um, a parade through Baltimore, an Irish St. Patrick's Day parade. They come to the 1045 morning mass at the Basilica and everybody wears green and it's just this magnificent entrance of bagpipers um, in kilts and everything and waving Irish flags coming down the aisle of the Basilica to start out uh, morning mass and then they play outside the cathedral and then head off to the parade. So it's a great way to kickstart uh, St. Patrick's Day week. And so we just have to reminisce about it this year. Um, <laughs> still can't believe that it has been a year since we've been in um, sort of COVID reality. Uh, it's really strange to think that that much time has passed, that it's already St. Patrick's Day again. 
Um, last year, I shared a, a post about <laughs> um, when my husband and I graduated from college, we went on about a month of just wandering, uh, mostly Northern Ireland. And it was kind of a disaster, honestly. We were completely unprepared. We were totally out of shape. We had been drinking way too much beer in college and <laughs> not preparing. And we had these giant packs that I kept stuffing with souvenirs. I wanted to get like a sheep's, you know, sweater and I wanted to get something from the Guinness factory and all this stuff before we set it set out on our hike, which had us hiking about 18 miles a day averaging. And uh, you can just imagine us weighted down with these packs uh, going along the Ulster Way. We left out of, um, we started down in Dublin, but we headed up to Northern Ireland and started uh, the Ulster Way out of Belfast, uh, which kind of takes you around the outskirts of Northern Ireland uh, in a loop. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, absolutely amazing countryside, like views you can't imagine. But um, <laughs> we had so many misadventures. Um, I didn't, we, neither of us had a smartphone. And uh, at one point, Chris exploded our gas stove that we were trying to cook those uh, little packages of camping, camping food in. And so we had no food and we slept in a cow field. And um, I hated camping. I still kind of hate camping. I, I love the outdoors. I love hiking. But um, I would love to like end that with like a shower and a bed. So, <laughs> so a few times I would sort of demand we find a bed and breakfast, which... Um, you know, Chris was more than happy to rough it, but uh, yeah, I, uh, it was it was it was disastrous in many many ways. Oh, I should also say that I dropped our only form of communication, which was an international phone that we had rented. I dropped it down St. Patrick's Well, so <laughs> so that was gone. So we had to rely a lot on um, sort of the kindness and ingenuity and friendliness and hospitality of the Irish people, and uh, we were not disappointed. They were absolutely amazing to us. They gave us rides, they gave us food, they invited us to their homes. Uh, and I, I actually don't think we would have met uh, as many people as we did and had so many adventures if we, if we, hadn't, um, if we hadn't been so ill-prepared and also if we hadn't uh, been without a smartphone. So some of the blessings of lack of technology were evident on that trip, even though there were certainly inconveniences. But I shared stories about uh, about that trip last year at this time, just thinking about sort of the attitude we, we needed to have as we, at the time, uh, were going to curb the pandemic in two weeks um, and we were all having anxiety attacks and things like that. This sort of Irish uh, kindness and hospitality would see us through and just sort of uh, this keep going attitude and a uh, good sense of humor, maybe a, a good strong pint um, and some fiddle tunes and you could uh, get through pretty much anything. So I think that advice still holds a year later. So um, happy to be celebrating St. Patrick's uh, St. Patrick this week. Happy to be celebrating Celtic culture. Um, very excited to go through some of these topics. They're my favorite uh, favorite to talk about really. I absolutely love Celtic culture. And uh, I could probably go on for a long time, but I will try to rein it in a little bit. And as you probably know by now, um, my name is Katie Marquette, and you're listening to the podcast Born of Wonder. On this podcast, we explore anything that inspires awe, gratitude, creativity, um, just anything that is beautiful and worthwhile in the world, everything from art to animals to nature to good books, um, and now today to some of the myths and legends uh, of Irish culture. (music) 
So let's talk a little bit about who St. Patrick was. Um, despite the fact that he is the patron saint of Ireland, he actually was not Irish himself. He was British. Um, so he came from Britain uh, and he was actually taken as a slave by the Irish. And he worked for six years in Ireland and he had a dream uh, which he perceived to be from God, which told him it was time to escape. And so he did and he made his way back to Britain where he became a priest and eventually a bishop. And he had another dream, but this time it was telling him to return to Ireland to this place where he had been enslaved uh, as a missionary this time. This is when um, all of Ireland was uh, pagan, as we'd say, uh, you know, the um, traditional Celtic, um, Celtic religion was the dominant religion in Ireland. So St. Patrick headed back to back to Ireland, and of course there are many, many stories about his, his adventures there, his missionary work, most famously uh, that he banished snakes from Ireland. Um, he, apparently he was up on a mountain overlooking the sea. He ordered all the snakes to come to his feet, and he started beating a drum and drove them all into the water. So St. Patrick, um, he's sort of uh, he, uh, like a lot of saints from this era. Um, I mean, he was he supposedly died 493 on March 17th, so a long time ago. So a lot of these saints um, sort of uh, from our from our prehistory days here are um, the stories around them have a lot of the flair of myth and legend and there we don't actually know too much about the historical saint patrick but um this is what we do know and we've um all certainly embraced him as as the patron saint of ireland and uh, in, uh of course other famous stories is that he uh, explained the Trinity by using a shamrock with the three leaves. Um, he used that to explain the Trinity. Um, he apparently also, if you think of the Celtic cross, which has sort of the circle behind the cross that uh, he used from the Celtic imagery of the sun, um, he put the sun behind the cross to create um, the traditional Celtic cross. So there's just lots of, lots of origin myths around him. Um, and then of course today, whether you're in Ireland or not, um, you're probably going to go out and drink a Guinness or have a harp or a Smithix and uh, wear green um, because the, otherwise you're going to get pinched. Um, one of the less fun traditions of St. Patrick's Day. Um, the story is that if, if you're wearing green, leprechaun, leprechauns can't see you. So um, if, you're, if you're not wearing green, you're going to get pinched by your friends and also by um, leprechauns. So wear green um, on Thursday. Wear green on St. Patrick's Day. Maybe you'll eat some corned beef and cabbage, listen to some traditional Irish music, and normally, of course, there are parades and uh, fun things like that going on. Probably not where you are this year, but um, hopefully next year, and you can certainly celebrate at home with your family. So... I wanted to go through um, a few things, um, a few Celtic stories and myths and uh, aspects of culture here. Um, I'm going to be drawing from, I'm going to actually use some audio from a podcast I did before this one called On Fairy Stories. You can still find on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, but it was from my first episode that I made early on in quarantine of last year um, when I was really getting into these. I was reading a lot of fairy tales and a lot of myths and things like that. Found it very um, 
enlightening in light of the strange things that were happening in the world to be sort of immersed in timeless stories. Uh, they really rooted me very well. So I was reading a lot about Selkies um, and these Irish myths and things like that. So I'm going to take uh, some of my audio from that from um, fairy stories and introduce you to some of the some of the uh, myths around Selkies. But I also wanted to talk about and forgive me for my pronunciation. I've listened to the sort of YouTube videos of how to pronounce these things, but I may still uh, not be perfect. But um, I want to talk about Tirnanog, which is uh, the land of eternal youth in um, Irish Celtic mythology. Just this um, sort of amazing Eden-esque place of, um, of happiness and bounty, you know, endless hunting and orchards and uh, you also never get old there so it's a it's sort of like a place that people um, they find their way to uh, under magical circumstances so there are lots of great stories about Tirnanog and uh, the most famous one is about um, about Oshin and Neve and just to give you an example of how <laughs> difficult it is to pronounce these things Neve is pronounced Neve but spelled N-I-A-M-H not very intuitive so <laughs> but anyway okay so Oshin was uh, a great warrior part of um, this big clan of hunters uh, in Ireland uh, very proud people and uh, one day they were out hunting and they come across this uh, beautiful white horse with a woman uh, riding it uh, she has long red hair she's absolutely just stunning takes everyone by surprise and uh, she says that she's heard rumors about this great great warrior Oshin and she wants to take him with her um, to the land of Tirnanog and she is the she's the daughter of the king uh, so she wants to take him with her and Oshin pretty much immediately agrees uh, he he doesn't have to be too convinced he's already already fallen madly in love with this woman this woman whose name is Neve so uh, she he hops on the white horse with her and in sort of a parting of the Red Sea fashion they ride through the ocean as it parts for them uh, toward the land of Tirnanog. And uh, there they are married and they have three children and it's estimated people normally stay in Tirnanog for um, for something like three to three hundred years, some uh, some some number with with three in it. Uh, so it feels like maybe three years to Oshin, but it is really been three hundred years, and he's, uh, you know, it's been a a beautiful life for him in this land of eternal youth and eternal plenty. And um, but he is he is homesick. He's homesick for his family and for for the Irish Irish landscape and he's, he's homesick for home so he'd like to he'd like to go visit basically he'd like to go back and um, Neve reluct reluctantly agrees to let him go but uh, warns him you know take the white horse but don't get off um, if you if your feet touch the ground you won't be able to come back so um, he does go back to Ireland but he is completely dismayed sort of in a Rip Van Winkle way to find that so much time has passed, 300 years have passed, not three years, and everyone he knows is dead. The landscape has changed, the castles he knew are in, in ruins. Um, so he's pretty, um, he's pretty upset if he wanders, wanders this Ireland that is no longer familiar to him. Um, but he comes across a group of, group of young men who are trying to lift uh, their variations about what they're working on, um, a marble stone, a boulder, and they ask for his help. And he, without thinking, gets off the horse and immediately as his feet touch the ground, he ages 300 years into a very stooped 
and uh, sick old man. And uh, these young men are absolutely shocked as they watch the white horse gallop away from him. And they take him to no other than St. Patrick. And uh, St. Patrick welcomes him to the monastery and nurses him back to health. And there are actually all these really interesting um, recordings of the dialogue they had, um, St. Patrick and O'Sheen. And it's seen as sort of a dialogue between the old Celtic pagan ways and this new uh, Christianity that St. Patrick had brought into the land. And there's sort of a debate about salvation and about who is saved or isn't and who God is and if God is present in nature or not. And St. Patrick and O'Sheen go back and forth on this. It's very, it's really interesting um, and uh, definitely a very symbolic uh, representative of, of this changing landscape culturally in Ireland as St. Patrick and other missionaries brought Christianity to the land. But in all the stories, um, St. Patrick does have O'Sheen tell him all about this land of Tirnanog, which they both um, kind of agree is heaven, is a, is a form of heaven. You know, St. Patrick thinks that maybe somehow uh, he, this man has visited heaven. And uh, so they talk back and forth about what it's like. And um, what's so interesting is that in um, in many stories about Tirnanog, there actually is a tree and there are apples. <laughs> And uh, there are just lots of things that um, make it a very Eden-esque place. So um, very interesting. And eventually, of course, O'Sheen dies um, in the care of St. Patrick. So speaking of lost Edens, I've uh, recently discovered stories about uh, this wonderful island, which is uh, off the coast of County Kerry in Ireland, called Great Blasket Island. So it's this small, dramatic island, you know, with these cliffs over the raging Irish Sea. Uh, you can only get there by boat, of course. Um, and uh, it's about a square, a little over a square mile, so about you know, 700 some acres. Uh, and even at its peak of occupation, there were only about 160 people living there. It was a really, really rough landscape. People would have to um, tie themselves with rope to trees as they walked along the edge of the cliffs so they wouldn't get swept away into the sea. Um, there was no access to doctors or anything like that. Um, they were all Catholics, but they obviously didn't have a church. Uh, so a priest would sort of row, his, row himself out there um, hopefully once a, once a week, but uh, at least once a month or so. Um, and just they, they basically retained a technology-less uh, existence for much longer than other parts of Ireland um, and had a very, very traditional lifestyle that was extremely rooted in the land and the sea. And um, some of the great um, Irish stories were preserved by uh, this largely oral tradition. It was also one of the last places to be um, entirely Irish speaking. So luckily, people have preserved stories from people who used to live there. Um, by the mid-1950s, pretty much everyone had left the island. So um, that's, that's now only two people will live there. Two caretakers, uh, if you want to apply to be a caretaker. I think they had thousands of people apply last year. Um, it sounds like a pretty rough 
life in a lot of ways you still don't have any electricity or anything but um if you just look up pictures of this place uh it might be worth it it looks pretty fantastic so um no one lives there except for caretakers but you can go visit so it's certainly going on my list this is great blasket island so one of Ireland's most famous storytellers came out of this place. Her name's Peeg Sayers. Um, I'm reading her book now, and it's it's hard to describe. It's it's a little bit hard to understand. Um, this has been translated from the original Irish, and uh, some of her stories will seem just sort of bizarre, and you don't really, they're all meandering. But as you sort of fall into the rhythm of the way she tells stories, and this life that they were lead, leading, this very, very um, rooted, uh, simple, in some ways, life that was so um, so based on story and sitting around the fire and having this very close-knit community. And think about if you don't have technology, you don't have a TV, you don't have a radio, you don't even necessarily have books. Um, telling stories was so important and there were uh, stories that people would memorize you know every single line by heart and it would take 12 nights uh, to tell the story and everybody would gather around from the village um, to listen and uh, so it's just it, it just it paints such a fantastic picture so um, it, its own sort of lost Eden in a way of course very dangerous a lot of deaths a lot of avoidable tragedies because of how isolated um, they were but it's just fascinating to learn about so on that note of um, traditional irish stories uh, we're going to learn more about selkies now and i will um, play this audio from my podcast on fairy stories So maybe people one time had the power to see what's hidden from us. In the hills, there's something to be seen, I'm sure of that. And on the sea. That's a quote from an old fisherman in Ireland. He's quoted in David Thompson's strange and beautiful book, The People of the Sea, Celtic Tales of the Seal Folk. This is one of the most unique, puzzling, and beautiful books I've ever read. My husband finds my newfound interest in Selkies, or the seal folk of the Celtic Isles, somewhat amusing. I guess it's sort of a strange interest, and I don't really know why these Selkies appeal to me so much. I watched this beautiful animated movie um, by an Irish animation studio uh, called The Song of the Sea, and I was just really taken in by this story of a woman, a wife and a mother, who gives birth to her second child and then returns to the sea uh, after finding her seal, her seal skin, and she goes back to the ocean. And there's sort of this whole other world of fairies and dreams and myths that's lurking under the surface um, of the world there in Ireland. And these stories just really struck me as very beautiful and very sad, um, sad in a good way. You know what I mean? Um, just, just really haunting. So I went about looking for books on Selkies and this book by David Thompson kept coming up, The People of the Sea. It's considered a classic of ethnography, really, of, uh, capturing a time, that has really disappeared now. Uh, Seamus Haney wrote the introduction to the edition I have. Um, the book was originally published back in the 1950s. Uh, David Thompson himself also had a hard time describing his deep interest in the folklore around the Grey Seals. He said, quote, I don't think of the stories that way as lies or truth. I like to hear them, that's all. 
Selkie stories in general are largely sad, violent, and absurd. Some say the gray seals are fallen angels. Some say they're the souls of drowned sailors. There are stories of Selkie kings and their human children. And there are many beautiful stories of Selkie women who find their seal skin and return to the sea, but continue to leave fish for their human children and husband on the shore. There's no sort of uniform mythology uh, to Selkie stories. Sometimes uh, there were these really funny stories of uh, seals who would give rides to men to the market uh, to go get a beer and then would come up on land as a man and have a few pints with them before returning to the sea. Um, the whole book is sort of like a memory you can't really place. And the rhythms are of a really lost way of life, a life where you lived uh, with the motions of the of the sea and of the seasons out on these sort of dramatic gray cliffs of Ireland. So it's as much a collection of Selkie tales as a record of the Isle folk who told these stories. Uh, they can really only be understood uh, in a society that lived so closely to the earth. The sea and its inhabitants, uh, these really human eyes, they talk a lot about the human eyes of the seals and how seals are known to weep uh, and to mourn their dead, to mourn their their mates when they're killed and their and their children. Um, they, they haunted fishermen for generations. To give you an idea of the superstitious world of this uh, society, it was seen as bad luck to save a drowning man because God in the ocean had claimed him and you didn't interfere with the will of the sea. So Selkies, these gray seals, represented a bridge between men and the ocean because they could live both on land and in the water. Uh, the Selkie became a conduit for the fears and dreams of these fishermen. And Thompson takes us into an Ireland filled with traveling storytellers and old black houses, an Ireland where every action had a prayer, a prayer for raking the fire in the evening, an Ireland where myths and memories merged. Uh, you never really knew what was true and what wasn't. Uh, there was a sense that perhaps the world was changing and the magic was leaving the land, but there was a time, and it wasn't so long ago, when these strange and magical things truly did happen. And uh, near the end of the book, Thompson recounts some of the old Selkie songs, and he describes how the seals seemed to know the old Gaelic melodies and how they even answered and finished the ballads of singers on the beach. And you have to ask, did the old songs come from the seals? Did the fishermen perhaps learn the songs from the Selkies? But now the songs are mostly lost. There's sort of a fragmented um, record of them. And there's no back and forth anymore between men and seals and between men and the sea. So a lot of the language and the stories are being lost. So it's a really sad, beautiful book uh, that really captures some of the strange, imaginative stories about Selkies. So I thought um, I would recount uh, one, of, one of the strangest of the Selkie stories that's included in this collection, uh, David Thompson's collection. So in this story, there is a fisherman and he has three sons and they hear three knocks on the door. And in a lot of this Irish mythology, uh, hearing three knocks was always sort of an ominous thing. It meant maybe death itself had come to your door. But they open the door and they see a man in white on a white horse. And he tells them that when they go out fishing tonight, they need to make sure to take a knife, a hook, and an axe. And uh, then he rides off uh, away over the rainy cliffs into the distance. And uh, all the men sort of look at each other and are 
you know, think it's a pretty strange thing that just happened, but they said, well, we better take those things. So they get a hook, a knife, and an axe, and they take them out on the ocean with them that night when they go fishing. Now that night there was a terrible, terrible storm, one of those just really wild, uh, one of those really wild storms that comes out of nowhere, and their boat is being rocked and pitched, and they're sure they're going to drown. And this tumultuous, giant tidal wave just comes roaring toward them. And one of the sons, just in a moment of just sort of insanity, grabs the hook and throws it into the wave. And it splits the wave in two. And the wave, sort of like a parting of the Red Sea situation, just glides by, um, splits in two and glides by them. And so the next time one of those big tidal waves come, they grab a knife and they throw it into the wave and the same thing happens. And then the same thing happens again with the axe. And then on that last wave, after they've thrown the axe in and they've ridden that last wave out, they're sort of washed up on the shore. And they can see in, in the distance all the sort of broken and shattered pieces of wood from other ships that have not been so lucky. There are a lot of fishermen that died that night clearly out on the ocean. So they go home feeling very lucky to be alive and uh, you know they're drying off and everything and they hear those three knocks again and they look at each other sort of scared and sure enough it's the man dressed in white on his white horse and he tells them I need the three sons who threw the objects into the waves to come with me and uh, they don't question it they clearly have uh, reason now to trust this man so they hop on the back of his horse and they fly away you know like shadow facts or something just off away away at miles and miles and miles but it takes no time at all they know they're traveling immense ground but um, the horse is just sort of flying over the earth and they reach this town and they see it's sort of a gray strange town and all these women are out in the streets dancing and laughing and playing music and there's sort of all these men walking around with this strange look in their eyes and these like just drawn look on their faces and uh, they look just just absolutely ill you know but they're following these women around like in a daze and uh, they, they're clinging to the the man in white on his horse and just sort of looking at each other in horror about where they've ended up and they arrive at one of these old black houses there are no windows on this house and they go up to the door and the man says, you know, I can't go in with you, but you're going to have to go in one at a time and do exactly as they say, do exactly as they say. So you go first. And he's thinking, who's, who's they? And the first son goes in and he walks in and he finds a beautiful woman lying in the bed, looking up at him with a, with a hook right in the middle of her forehead. And she says, you have to take it out. You have to take this hook out of my forehead. And he's absolutely horrified, but he does as she says and takes the hook out. And then he leaves the house, and then the second son comes in, and he finds a woman there, a beautiful woman on the bed. And the same situation, it's the knife is right in her forehead, and he went, goes up and pulls it out as she requests. And then the last son goes in, and he finds a beautiful woman with an axe in her forehead. And she asks him to take it out, and he learns from her. She says, you know, you were meant to be mine. You were meant to be ours. If you hadn't thrown those into the sea, you would be here with us. And he runs out in horror, thinking how these women could have claimed them in the ocean. And the man in white explains that all the men there in that town are the sailors who drowned, and these are the Selkie women who claimed them. And... Uh, he tells them, you can never go fishing again, you can never go out on the sea, because your souls have been saved, because you, you came back and you saved these Selkie women, you saved them by pulling out your weapons, but 
they're going to be waiting for you in the ocean so you can never go out to sea again and they uh they went back to their father and this time the the journey back took took it felt like days you know it was a long journey that the flying shadow facts moment was over and they come back and they tell him what happened and they agree that they will never go out to sea again and they spend the rest of their life just sitting on the cliffside watching the waves So hopefully you enjoyed uh, those Selkie stories. I just think they are so magical and amazing. I do so highly recommend that book by David Thompson. It's sort of in the tradition of Peak Sayers in sort of capturing this original uh, understanding of Irish folklore and, and the way people would talk about it, the way they would tell these stories that was so important to their culture for so long and that unfortunately uh, is being lost. So I do recommend that. Uh, and if you are, especially if you're interested in the Selkies, because the stories are just fantastic. So I hope you have a great St. Patrick's Day, a great St. Patrick's Day week or month. And um, actually also this week, Friday, is the Feast of St. Joseph. So that's a solemnity. So if you are Catholic, you can eat meat on that day. So um, again, the hardship, not so bad. Again, think of our Orthodox friends. Um, <laughs> um, so you can celebrate St. Joseph on Friday. And Pope Francis is actually giving um, the shrine at Knock in Ireland uh, international status on uh, the Feast of St. Joseph. This is uh, the Marian apparition that happened in in Ireland. Knock is a village in County Mayo, Ireland, um, most famous for the Knock Shrine. Uh, this was um, where people believe that the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, and St. John the Evangelist appeared on August 21st, 1879. The story is that it was raining and um, people saw, saw this apparition and uh, it, which stayed there for the course of two hours as people came and went and watched this vision. And what's interesting to me is that uh, unlike some other Marian apparitions where um, there's sort of a warning or a message, uh, actually all the figures were completely silent. So people have their own um, interpretations of what this vision meant. And it's certainly unique uh, considering the Irish gift of gab <laughs> that, uh, that the apparition in Ireland was a silent apparition. So... Anyway, uh, so happy St. Patrick's Day, happy Feast of St. Joseph, um, happy almost spring, uh, lots to celebrate. If anyone is keeping track when this airs tomorrow, it'll be two days away from when the baby is due, but I'm not optimistic that she wants to come anytime soon, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm going to probably just Call, call it a day on this season. My, my goal of the 10 episodes didn't happen, but we've got nine episodes here of Born of Wonder. So I'm, I'm proud of that. And I'm glad to have you as listeners. And I, I hope to be back very soon. And if you, if you want to visit um, bornofwonder.com and contact me about different topics you'd like me to explore uh, in the next season or just general feedback. And of course, as always, if you go to iTunes and you can leave a review, that is so appreciated and so helpful. So my recommendation uh, today is um, to go listen to some uh, or read some poetry of W.B. Yeats, the quintessential Irish poet, um, beautiful poetry, lots of poetry about fairies and the landscape and um, just this wonderful uh, culture of Ireland. So 
go read some Yates. I'm going to take some audio again from uh, on Fairy Stories here. It's my husband, Chris, reading two of Yates, uh, Yates' poems. First, um, the beautiful poem, When You Are Old, and then uh, The Stolen Child. So both classic, great Yates poems. So I hope you enjoy those and then also go look up some more Yates poetry. Uh, I think that would be the perfect way to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I'm also, I don't know if this is related to St. Patrick's Day or it's just coincidence, but I've been doing, I'm reading a biography of Bobby Kennedy. There is a Bobby Kennedy um, four-part series on Netflix. If you think of a quintessential Irish Catholic family in, uh, in the United States, you might immediately think of the Kennedys. So, and it's also just interesting to learn about sort of the history about Irish Catholicism in America and uh, just the Irish um, integration into American society uh, and Bobby Kennedy is um, I mean maybe you already know a lot about Jack Kennedy I don't know I've just always been very interested in Bobby so that's on Netflix that's something you can watch so um, learn about some big Irish Catholic families read some Yates drink some Guinness and listen to some good fiddle music and I hope you have a very happy St. Patrick's Day I'm Katie Marquette and you've been listening to Born of Wonder when you are old When you are old and gray and full of sleep, and nodding by the fire, take down this book, and slowly read, and dream of the soft look your eyes had once, and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace, and loved your beauty with love false or true, but one man loved the pilgrim soul in you, and loved the sorrows of your changing face and bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. Child by W.B. Yeats. Where dips the rocky highland of sleuth wood in the lake, there lies a leafy island where flapping herons wake the drowsy water rats. There we've hid our fairy vats, full of berries and of reddest stolen cherries. Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy, hand in hand, For the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wave of moonlight glosses the dim gray sands with light, Far off by furthest rosses we foot it all the night, Weaving olden dances, mingling hands and mingling glances, Till the moon has taken flight. To and fro we leap and chase the frothy bubbles, While the world is full of troubles, and is anxious in its sleep. Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wandering water gushes from the hills above Glencar, in pools among the rushes that scarce could bathe the star, we seek for slumbering trout and whispering in their ears give them unquiet dreams. 
leaning softly out from ferns that drop their tears over the young streams. Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Away with us he's going, the solemn-eyed. He'll hear no more the lowing of the calves on the warm hillside, or the kettle on the hob sing peace into his breast, or see the brown mice bob round and round the oatmeal chest. For he comes, the human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, from a world more full of weeping than he can understand. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. 